Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 165, and we're going to talk about all the different ways you can keep your cabinets closed, because if anyone's ever lived in a van, there's one thing they've struggled with, and that's keeping their stuff off the floor. We're also going to talk about fan screens and how you can remove them, clean them, and use them to your advantage. And we'll have a product review of, well, fake connectors for wires. You'll see. It's worth listening to. Thanks very much for joining me once again here. Hey, we're doing an experiment, okay? I am going to try to do a YouTube version of the podcast this time. So when I launch this thing and it shows up in your podcast player, know that it's also going to be available on my YouTube channel, which is, yes, built to go a YouTube channel. It's amazing how that works. Now, I'm trying this as an experiment. I hope that this will work. And my goal is to simply have the same content in the podcast as there will be in the video. But of course, where there's a video involved, I can like show people things like this, which you won't see in the podcast. But well, it really doesn't matter because the content is going to be pretty much the same. Okay, so let's proceed. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that we were looking for creators uh, to do a special project. And that special project is to join us as we cross the Panama Canal. So let me back up a bit here. Yes, this is a van life channel. It's a van life podcast, but I also organize trips around the world for curious people. I've been doing this for years. And this year we're going to cross the Panama Canal from Miami to Los Angeles, visiting a bunch of places in the middle. We have space for a content creator to join us for free. That's right. We're going to pay for a content creator to come with us. The only thing they're on the hook for is their airfare. They have to get to Miami on their own and then leave LA however they want to, or maybe they're going to stay there permanently. That's completely up to them. But once they get on the ship, we're going to cover the cost of the cruise and the gratuities and even the Starlink internet access. Basically all the costs, although of course they'll be responsible for any personal expenses they have, shore excursions, casinos, time, alcoholic beverages, things like that. At any rate, I need your help finding people who would like to join us in the Panama Canal so long as they're a content creator and, sadly, they have to be male because they'll be sharing a cabin with another male person and, unfortunately, that means they have to be male. It's not a restriction I want to have. It's just, unfortunately, something that there has to be. So I've made a video talking about this. I've made a website talking about it. All the stuff you can find in the show notes. But this is a legit deal, and we're going to have the application process open through July 15th, 2023. After that, a small committee of people will get together and decide who we're going to ask to come with us. And then they're going to have an absolutely amazing experience. The only thing we ask of them is that they make some content that they will own, and it can be anything they want, and they can do whatever they want with it. It doesn't even have to involve the group that's going with them. We don't care. We just want to see some content created. Okay? Spread the word. Links in the show notes. And thank you. All right, now. As I said, everybody runs into problems with stuff falling out of their cabinets. Funny thing, in my ambulance, my Sprinter ambulance that I have, I also have this problem, but my cabinets don't have doors. Well, they do, but they're sliding doors. They're not doors on hinges. And I find that what happens is after a while of driving on the road, the plastic sliding doors will actually inch their way open. And then if I take a sharp turn or something, stuff will 
dump out. And I'm working on a way to deal with that. It's, it's not a big deal, but it, that's not the problem most people have. Most people have doors that open either from the top, the bottom, or the sides, because I don't know that there are any other options. And I think a lot of people make the mistake that, oh, it's a, you know, I've got some pistons there that'll hold it in place, or it feels kind of tight when I close it. It'll be fine. Yeah, no, no, everybody, <laughs> everybody has run into this that, wow, those things really want to open. And what happens a lot of the time is that the weight of the things inside the cabinet will bump up against the door and push on it much harder than we would anticipate. So it's a little hard for us to figure out, you know, wow, why is this happening? So I have some thoughts on solving this problem and some things, especially for first-time builders, that are important to keep in mind. First off, don't trust any adhesive for a closure. There's all kinds of child lock solutions you can do here that, that wrap around the door or you can stick on magnets with adhesives and things like that. They tend not to work. And the reason is that adhesives are temperature sensitive. When you buy an adhesive thing, it is intended to be used in a home, usually, where the temperature is controlled. But if you think about it, especially if you're in the north, the temperature in your van can have a range of well over 100 degrees, Fahrenheit or Celsius, and the adhesives will expand and contract and expand and contract, or in some cases, they will just melt. Velcro, for example, the adhesive that's on Velcro, especially cheap Velcro, the fake stuff, will melt, and then that's worthless. So uh, my advice to you is to don't even try it. Don't even try that. Just move on to something else. The other problem with, like, the child lock solution, which is a thing that people tend to think of right away, is they get really annoying. You kind of want to keep using them because you don't want to drive and forget that you didn't lock the door again, but if you do that, you just they're in your way. I mean, it's like all child-proofing is actually annoying to adults. So... That doesn't work very well, although there is a new kind of child lock I've seen that I kind of like. It is a hook that fits inside the door, and when you close the door, the hook grabs a little thing that's screwed into, say, the top of the cabinet, and then it will only open a little bit. Now, those are typically annoying, because the way you use those is you open the door a little bit, you stick your hand in there, bend the hook down, and then open it all the way. This one, though, you can rotate so you can disable it. So if you're going to park somewhere for a week, you could actually disable all these things. You just have to remember to re-enable them before you drove away. And a simple way to do that is to put a post-it note on your steering wheel. Or even better, put it on your windshield so that you have to see it. And it can just say, lock the damn doors or whatever. That would be a big help. Another problem with these is that if you're building a van that you're worried about the aesthetics of... Well, a lot of them are ugly. I had this problem in my Nissan NV200 is that I just didn't like the way any of the things looked. I mean, I was able to use a bungee cord and it worked, but it was pretty ugly. And I tried a few other things, but some of them were damaging the finish of the cabinets and I never really found a good solution. Now, I had IKEA cabinets in my NV200 and I can tell you that even though they have hinge locks, where if in a house, the drawer will lock, none of that stuff's going to hold in a van. It just doesn't. It is not meant to be used in a moving vehicle. So if you do buy something from Ikea, you're probably going to have to find a solution to keep the darn doors shut. And remember, you really want these doors to be secure. 
it's more force than you are probably imagining going against those doors. Now, let's talk about some of the solutions from the past. I have a number of <laughs> examples to talk about. My 1972 Winnebago, their solution was to have doors that open up. The hinges are at the top and there's a handle at the bottom. And the handle has a button on either side of it. So you press in both buttons and this releases a mechanism that lets go of some teeth and then you lift open the cabinet door. Now in the Winnebago, it does not have gas pistons. The door is held up by magnets on the ceiling. I, it's the only vehicle I've actually seen this in. And you open the door, and if you stick it up to the ceiling, it will magnetize on there and stay open. Then over the course of 50 years, the magnets have gotten a little weak, and sometimes those will fall, and they'll whack in your head and stuff. It, but it's a very simple system, and it actually does work. So if you could find that kind of latch you could use that. In my scamp, they do a much more common but much less secure way. There is no actual locking mechanism. There's just this clip attached to the handle that goes around two posts that are in the cabinet. It's a little hard to talk about audio-wise, but for those watching on YouTube, I can show you what I'm talking about. And the pressure of the clip is supposed to hold the door. But again, if you put something heavy in there, like let's say you put some cans of soup in a cabinet and you have a sudden jarring motion to one side or the other, the soup hits the door, the door flies open, the soup ends up on the floor. It's a very inexpensive way to do it and a fairly easy way to install it, but it's not all that effective. Now, what you see in the professional van builds are these, usually they're these push buttons. And if you push the button in when the door is closed, the button pops out and acts as a handle and then you can open and close it. And then you push the button back in and that will firmly lock it. And these things are great, but there's one problem. It's actually a couple problems. One is that they're a bit expensive, but the other problem is that they require somebody very, very precise to install them. And if you screw up installing them, you've ruined an entire cabinet or at least the door. And that often is catastrophic because this is one of the more expensive things you're going to be buying hardware-wise for your van. So before you run out and buy about 30 of these things, make sure you have the skill necessary to install them properly. I personally don't think I do. Another thing you can do, and this is what I ended up doing on some of the cabinets that are a little odd in my ambulances, I bought fairly inexpensive locking cabinet latches. These are, they're plastic. These are not terribly secure, but the way they work lets you, with a moderate amount of skill, add a positively locking latch on just about any door with a hinge. And then if you use the key, you can make it so it, it can't be accidentally opened. Again, if somebody really wants to break in, they're going to, and that's true of just about anything. But if you have some stuff that you're not really worried that someone's going to break in there, but someone might accidentally borrow something, this would at least keep those people out. And it also, at a glance, you can see that it's permanently locked. I'll have a link to those in the show notes so you know what I'm talking about. But um, they're not that expensive, and I, from what I've found, they all use exactly the same key. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> So my best piece of advice when you're doing this is that when you plan out your build, come up with a way to keep the cabinets closed and try to come up with a way that is convenient and secure and also looks kind of nice. And sometimes those three things fight with one another, but spend some time practicing, even practice with like old cabinets that you have laying around or make some cabinets out of foam or cardboard or something and 
play around and make sure you know what you're doing because a lot of people will get in the situation I was in where their build was done, everything was perfect, and then for the next six months they tried like 20 different solutions to keep the darn doors closed. Tech Talk. So if you are a person who's installed a fan in your van, and I'm talking about a ceiling fan, like a fantastic fan or a Max Air fan, or a Ventline Van Air, or any of those, they all have screens. And, you know, this is a good thing. You don't want bugs getting in your vehicle. But somebody recently pointed out to me that those screens can actually work against you sometimes. For example, let's say you have the Max Air fan, and you're getting your van, and you had your door open because you were cooking or whatever, and a bunch of mosquitoes get in your van or flies. And this is not uncommon, folks. <laughs> if you spend any time out there, you're going to have flying insects in your van. So you crank up your fan because it's hot and well all those bugs kind of end up on the screen but you know if that screen wasn't there it would just kind of get sucked out and and it's true you can actually empty all the flying insects from your vehicle if you remove the screens from your fans now this will work best with really powerful fans like a max air fan or a fantastic fan and you have to figure out exactly how the fans are removed for your particular fan but i know in my max air fan it's actually pretty clever there are four clips and you rotate each one of them and then the fan comes down on the inside and you can wash it or whatever or just put it in a cabinet and if there are insects flying around crank that thing up on high for five minutes and they're all gone it's great also um you don't really need the screen all that much because well, the only time that screen really matters is if the fan is either sucking in rather than blowing out, and most of the time you want it to be blowing air out, not blowing air in. Or you're not using the fan at all. If you just have the lid open, yeah, then the screen's important. But, eh, it, it's just not a place that insects get in your vehicle. They're not coming through the roof of your vehicle very often. So, just some stuff to think about. But and it's a great little tip. If you're trying to get rid of insects, you can go ahead and remove that screen and let them all get sucked out and they can be outside where, honestly, they'd rather be anyway. Product Review Now, I've been talking about different ways to connect wires for a while, and um, I... I'm a little bit old school, you know, I learned how to do wiring back in the 80s where we didn't have all these fancy things. I mean, we had butt connectors, which is what I was taught was the proper thing to use. We had scotch locks, which I was taught was really not a great thing to use. And boy, do I still agree with that. Scotch locks are a nightmare. Those are those plastic ones that you kind of wrap around the wire and then you uh, use pliers to crimp on a little metal piece. They fail all the time. They're horrible. I, I, I don't recommend them. And um, then we had, you know, the old school stuff of like soldering wires together and stuff, which also has problems because solder joints tend to break in vans. So now we have the Wago connectors, and there's a few different kinds of these. Some of them have levers, and some of them you just push in, but definitely get the ones with levers. And these are plastic reusable connectors that don't require any tools. You just strip the wire properly, pop them in there, and then push the levers down and you're done. I, I recently picked up a, a collection of these things for 25 bucks, and well, they're... All right, I cheaped out. I'm sorry. I didn't get the Wago ones. I got a knockoff brand, and uh, that brand is, uh, uh, I don't know how to say this, Zolix Ma? I, <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce this word, if it's even a word. <laughs> it's spelled X-A-L-X-M-A-W, 
and it's stylized at that. So honestly, I don't know how to pronounce this thing, but I bought a nice collection of them. I bought a box of 62 of them, and uh, it was only 25 bucks. And I have to say, I... I don't know why I do any other kind of wiring, honestly. Butt connectors have an advantage that they're easy to do if you have to pull a wire through a hole or something because they don't take up that much space. These do take up a bit more, but butt connectors are a pain as well. You really don't know if you have a good connection and you have to cut them off to replace them. These things you can undo and redo connections all day long. And for 25 bucks, okay, there's 62 pieces for 25 bucks. So they're like, what, 40 cents a piece, 45 cents a piece? Butt connectors are maybe 10 cents a piece. It doesn't matter. The convenience is worth it. Now, if I had got the same kit from Wago, it would have cost maybe $10 more. And yeah, you know, honestly, a single problem that I have with these is probably not worth the $10. So, you know, maybe you should get the Wago ones. But I have to say, these have been pretty good quality. Now, I recommend you do get a kit of one of these. It's a variety of them when you start building out your van or just to have as an emergency kit. And this kit has a whole bunch of single wire-to-wire connectors. And um, basically, it's this small plastic thing, and you put a wire in one side here, and then you close the lever, and then you do the same thing on the other side, and you close the lever, and voila, you have a good connection. And you can pull on the wires and test it and not have to worry about anything, and it's great. But they also do things that butt connectors don't actually do very well, and that is you can connect different configurations of wire. For example, this comes with a whole bunch of the one-to-ones. That's great. But it also comes with some that are two-to-one, where you can put one wire in one side and then two wires in the other side. So let's say you need a Y joint for some reason. Well, this would be a great way to do it. You could do this for a ground example. Let's say you have two lights that need grounds. You can send the wires into this. It's, 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 It's nice. And there's even a bunch of these that are five wires out and one wire in. Now, you have to be careful of amperage. These things do hold a good amount of amperage. In fact, in the manual here, the stats are that it can handle 32 amps. But five divided by 32, you know, you you don't want to run five seven amp things in here at the same time you will melt the thing and the voltage is 250 to 600 volts you're not going to get into a problem with the voltage but hey guys if you're if you're doing a lot of wiring this is really a good investment 25 bucks and you're going to have a good jump start on all the connections you're going to need you may end up needing more but It's simple, it's quick, it's going to save you a lot of time, and these are going to be much more secure connections than if you just twist wires together and electrical tape them or whatever method you were going to use. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes to these $25 ones, and I'll also have a link to the Wago comparable kit that, uh, well, you know, I mean, if you want to save 10 bucks, save 10 bucks, but it's probably not worth it. And there's a whole bunch of other brands making these too. One complaint, however, about the Zalksma, or wherever this is, the box, while it does hold the stuff, the latch is crap. The latch just really wants to pop right open, and it's really floppy, and, well, eventually I'm going to drop these, and they're going to go all over the place. But, eh, it's not the end of the world. So, that's the Zalksma 62-piece lever wire connectors for 25 bucks from Amazon. Link in the show notes. Good stuff to have. Tales from the Brood. Okay, I debated a lot about telling this tale because 
even though it's my story and I was there for it, um, it's a story that someone told to me and it's a little weird. And my conclusion of what the story is about is actually kind of disturbing. So, ah, what the heck? So I had a friend contact me, someone I hadn't seen in a long time. They said, Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. What are you doing? And I was like, no, I, I'm, you know, I can hang out. And, uh, they said, Hey, we're going to take the water taxi to Chinatown and why don't you meet us there? And you can find us a good place to eat. Now, truth be told, even though I used to live within walking distance of Chinatown, I never really made it my own. You know, I never had a favorite restaurant or anything. So I did some quick yelping and found a restaurant that Tor seemed to like. And, you know, we went there and it was this gentleman and his mother who I'd never met before. And we had a lovely dinner and talked about their trip and stuff. And then... Uh, the fact that they're from the Pacific Northwest came up. And so we started talking about the Pacific Northwest, and I made an offhanded comment about Bigfoot. As one does, right? I mean, Bigfoot has been seen in 49 of the 50 states, and I'll let you guess which of the 50 states Bigfoot hasn't been seen in. And, um, you know, but mostly it's the Pacific Northwest is where people think of Bigfoot stuff. And the the mother kind of got a smile on her face, and looked at me and said, you know what? I knew Bigfoot. Now, she said this as though Bigfoot were a singular entity, as though there was one Bigfoot and she was personally acquainted with him. And then she went on to say uh, stuff that was a little really disturbing. She said that when she was a young girl living in Washington, she was living on a houseboat. And that in the middle of the night, Bigfoot used to come out of the woods and visit her in the houseboat. And I thought, okay, I'm, you know, waiting for where the story's going to go here. You know, is she having a dream or was this a fantasy thing? I mean, she was a little bit older than me, but, you know, Bigfoot was a really big thing in the 70s. And I'm kind of doing the math. And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe she watched too much in search of, you know, whatever. Well, I'll just keep listening. And she said, yeah, he, you know, he was, he was really nice. And very, very hairy, but also very gentle. And, and he would pick me up and take me into the woods. And, um, well, you know, we would spend the evening making love. And then he'd bring me back and tuck me in. And, uh, you know, I'd see him again in a couple weeks or so. Now, you probably have questions about this. Uh, I had questions about this, but I didn't have any way to ask them because she said these things and I looked at her son, the guy I knew, and he didn't react at all. He didn't look like, what the heck are you talking about, mom? And he didn't look at me like, yeah, she's got these crazy stories. No, it was just like she had said she picked up milk at the supermarket. So I was in this odd position of what exactly am I supposed to do? And I decided that since this was such an odd situation, well, there must be a reason for it. Why would she tell this story? Oh, then I thought of a very horrific reason why she would tell this story. And it wasn't about Bigfoot at all. It was about somebody else who she thought of as Bigfoot. And given her age at the time... I decided not to pursue any line of questioning at all, and we ordered some green tea ice cream, and ate that, and I said goodbye, and that was the end of our visit. 
is truly one of the strangest conversations I have ever had. And one that really sticks with me and I don't know what to think about. But I still do. A place to visit. Now, I have had this place on my radar for a very long time, and I haven't actually visited it yet. But someday I will. <laughs> and heck, if you are in southern Maine, I think you should visit it as well. Because there is no other place like this. There, there just isn't. Uh, this is a unique place. You will not find any other place like this anywhere. This is the Umbrella Cover Museum. If you're wondering what an umbrella cover is, well, remember when you bought that umbrella, you know, the little one that fits in the door of your car that it, like, sometimes they're called totes and it came with this nylon cover that you lost instantly. Like you maybe kept it for a couple days and then the first time it rained, you were like, I'm not putting this soggy thing in it. It doesn't even fit in there. And then you just threw it away or it blew away or whatever. Yeah. Well, that cover is in her museum. What happened is that this woman, whose name is Nancy Three, that's the number three, Nancy Three, uh, just kept running into these umbrella covers everywhere, and she, not one to leave something laying around, started collecting them. And in time, she had half a dozen of them, and then a dozen, and then two dozen, and then three dozen, and then she decided to make a museum out of them all. <laughs> and she has this museum on Peaks Island in Maine, which is a ferry ride from Portland, that's filled with umbrella covers. <laughs> I, 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 and the thing is, this, this sounds like something that someone would do as a gag, right? It would be open for a couple of weeks, ha ha ha, and then you close it down. Well, the first time I reported on this museum was in 2003, 20 years ago, on a website I used to have called Odd New England, which I actually miss quite a bit. Still have never been, because it's a little hard to get to. You have to take a ferry. Now, I am going to Portland this October, and I'm going to actually make an effort to go visit the <laughs> Umbrella Cover Museum. I, I have a link to this in the show notes, and you can check it out, and you can see pictures, and you can hear an interview about why this isn't. And for her, it's not so much about the cover itself. It's about the story of the cover. Where did it come from? How did it end up in this park at this time? Why is it pink with purple polka dots? That, that For her, it's about the story. And I, I just love the idea that she's been doing this since 1992. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, Nancy Three Hoffman. All right, she has a last name. It's Hoffman, but I like that her middle name is Three, so I wanted to point that out. Uh, yeah, it's uh, UmbrellaCoverMuseum.org. It's a short ferry ride from Portland, Maine, and I promise you that if you do visit this place, it will be an experience, and it will be a unique experience. Resource Recommendation. So <laughs> this is kind of apropos of me doing this here. I'm recording this podcast as a video at the same time. And I've been dabbling in video for a while now, but it, I think this is one of those skills that uh, I will never actually get very good at. I will always be learning it, even if I actually do get good at it by some standards. There's so much 
to learn and so many different ways to do things that it's, it's daunting, you know, for, for somebody who's new to the idea of video editing and how to upload things to YouTube and where do you get the content from and how do you do all this stuff? Well, you might as well go to a pro and, and by a pro, I'm actually talking about wonder hussy. Now, if you've not encountered wonder hussy, and I've mentioned her a few times, she is this woman who lives in the desert Southwest and just explores all over the desert in her own very quirky and very curious way. She is just an amazing woman and always produces interesting content out of almost nothing sometimes. And she makes it look seamless. You can watch her videos and think, well, there's nothing to this. She's just talking into her phone. So she grabs her phone and she goes out into the desert and she's like, hey, I'm here out in the desert. And wow, look at this. There's a rock here. And look at this rock. It's got, well, it looks like that because she's so very good at it. The process is much more complicated than that. Anybody who's edited video will tell you that for every minute of video you see, you could easily spend an hour editing it. I just made a video this morning that took me six hours. It's a three minute video. So I get it. It is difficult, but Wonder Hussy explains the process that she uses very simply, shows how it can actually be very inexpensive and does it in such a way that while she's not going to pull any punches, she's going to let you know that it's difficult. She makes it accessible. So if you're somebody who has thought about creating YouTube content of your van travels or whatever, well, go ahead and watch this video that I have linked in the show notes. It's called how I started my YouTube channel and how I make videos by wonder hussy. Now she's got a hundred thousand views on this video in just three months. So she's doing pretty well with it. And I watched this video. It's 45 minutes long, which is kind of long for her videos, but boy, it really made me feel much better about my own video content uh, because it turns out that the hardest part about creating a video is just getting started and getting in there and doing it. And well, she makes that as easy as it could possibly be. So link in the show notes, or you can just search YouTube for how I started my YouTube channel and how I make videos. Wonder hussy. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode 165. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. Now, remember, this is an experiment. I did this as a YouTube video and a podcast. So if you want to, like, check out the one you didn't watch or listen to and see what the difference is, go for it. But honestly, it's the same content, and I'm going to try to keep it that way. Now, if you need to get a hold of me for any reason, I am Jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And until next time, remember the words of T.S. Eliot, who said, only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go.